I'm Devil Sangmi, and this is No Cost Extension. In today's episode, I'm in conversation with Drew Velakra, one of Dasra's first employees in 2004. After leaving Dasra, Drew went on to be a school scholar at the University of Oxford and then started Miracle Couriers, a national award-winning courier service that employs low-income deaf adults. Drew and I talked about the challenges of social entrepreneurship, building a business for persons with disabilities, and the Echoing Green Fellowship that got Drew started. Thanks, Dhruv. Thank you for having me, Devil. Really excited that you're here today. I think out of most of the guests that we interviewed in the first season were people that we'd known for, as you know, a long time. And I think you definitely fall into that bucket, into that category. And it would be good, though, to just introduce yourself a little. Where are you from? What brought you to Mumbai? How did you find out about Tasra? So I grew up in uh, Jammu and pretty much spent my childhood there. I came to uh, Bombay for higher education and my uncle was in Bombay. He was very keen that why don't I come to Bombay? I went to HR college and did uh, commerce and economics and uh, good college life. I just fell in love with the city. I decided that this is the place I want to be and it's not that it's lack of opportunities, but uh, I just felt that this is a place that really resonated with me that time. Completed my college, um, got a stint at uh, DSP Merrill Lynch, did investment banking as an analyst for two years. A uh, very interesting phase of my life. I walked into the office and I realized that this is exactly what I don't want to do. So I think that was a very good thing for me that I'm lucky that happened to me very early on because um, I, d I, could check, I could check one thing that I didn't want to do in my life. And uh, then Dasra happened. I got to know about Dasra from a colleague of mine. And he told me that Dasra is an organization you should look up. And something is more socially driven because I always wanted to look at the social sector. And I knew the social sector is not a typical social sector as it made out to be. And I applied to Dasra and luckily for me, I was hired by Deval Anira. So things started with that. My social impact journey, as you would say, would start from there. And what year was this? Back in the day, 2000 and three of 2004, I think, 20 so years. 2004. And the reason I ask that is because, well, I, I guess, what are your thoughts in terms of just how the environment has changed? I mean, in 2004, what were the sort of views of your parents, your peers, uh, your colleagues, and where do you see, as it relates to you joining the sector, number one, and as it relates to you joining Dasra? And then I, I guess fast forward to, to comparing it to where we are today, you feel as a sector, even as Dasra for that matter. I think it's a, it's a career that, which is not very popular back in the day. It's definitely picked up a lot of steam, but then the economy is changing, people are changing. But back in the day, if you were a young graduate and you are doing investment banking, unlikely someone would shift. You, you know, your passion kind of takes over for making the plunge. And you all obviously have family stresses around you. If you're dating somebody, you know, you want to get married and all these things kind of kick in. So I think very few people would take the plunge. So if you're really passionate about it in the early in 2000s, only then people would really shift. Otherwise, people and especially in India is like 
you complete your graduation, get a job, get on with life, buy a house and buy a car and get married and you take that path. And I was not one of those. So I have the story that my grandmother actually got very, very worried when she heard that I've left banking and joining this non-profit and my first assignment is going to be with Dasra to Tamil Nadu in, uh, in Nagapatnam and Kadlo doing tsunami relief. She actually called my dad and said that I think he's popping pills. Uh, so, so, you know, these kind of things, and I don't blame her. I mean, being my grandmom, I don't blame her, but I could understand her anxiety and, and my girlfriend's parents being anxious about it. Now my wife, you know, that what are you doing with your life? Is, is this what you want to do? I, I always feel that there's never a right answer, but you have an inkling that this is what I would like to explore and do. And I think that's what people don't give them enough space. And there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, a lot of people have financial baggage and financial issues around it. Now it's the second question. It's definitely become much better because salaries have gone up. It's a career path. You can, social impact is such a broad term that whether social investments, non-profit, foundation, philanthropy, traditional philanthropy, giving, it's become very serious how the West looks at it. So you can definitely make a career out of it. It's just that it's still very nascent, I feel, in the whole bigger scheme of things. It'll be great if you see a gold medalist from an IIT or I am a top school in India really looking for a job in a non-profit, I think it's going to take a while. But things have definitely, definitely improved by miles. I still remember we were sitting in a taxi in New York when Neera told her mom that she's going to join Dasra full time and her mom first things out of her mouth was beta, but what would I tell my friends now? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Similar, similar, similar things, you know. So, so when I, I remember that you guys had given me a Toshiba laptop, which was 10 kilos. Yes, yes. But it was a laptop. So I remember this very clearly. I've got very vivid memories. I'm sitting on the flight and we are going to Chennai, obviously for tsunami relief. And uh, a gentleman next to me looks, asked me that, are you in Infosys or Wipro? You know, standard job for an Indian male young Indian male. And I said, no, this is a non-profit. He said, since when have non-profits started giving laptops? You know, so it's like, just because I work for a non-profit, I can't be paid well. I can't take a flight. I can't have a laptop. I can't afford a mobile phone. So I think there's a baggage around this sector, unfortunately, which has become the Jhola Wala sector that you're doing a dharna outside the parliament in Delhi and you shout slogans, you anti-establishment, you anti-government. There is a part piece for that, but there's a much bigger piece, which is actually doing programmatic great work in the fields. And when you were working, uh, since you're not from Mumbai originally, when you were working at DSP Merrill, where did you live when you joined Tasra? So I stayed in a hostel for two years, YMC, I think it's a great place. If listeners and any young listener wants to come to Bombay and wants to live in a hostel, I think there is no better place than YMCA in Kulaba. It was close by to work, great place. You meet youngsters from all over the country, all walks of life. Somebody's working in a nonprofit, somebody's working in pharmaceutical, somebody's an engineer. So it's it really, it's, it's a very good equalizer in terms of the whole social fabric of our, of our country. And then, when I shifted to Dasra, obviously our office was in Bandra, so started living that side. Took a small one, BHK, shared with a school friend of mine. So things were tough, but like I said, the passion was so uh, overpowering, for the lack of a better word, that we managed to get things. And by the end of the month, 
my my friend and i both we were broke but we managed to make it work so but i think there was joy at work which kind of compensated for that even if you paid me much more in medal which was obviously more but there was no kick to get up in the morning and go to work i think when that joy kicks in things things fall things fall in place and they have fallen in place i'm not one of those idealistic guys who will say money is not important i have made that mistake in my life of going on that path of true idealism in my entrepreneurial journey that money is not important i'll manage it that's not true money is extremely important but i would urge or request in a way that keep money when you are young little bit not at the forefront choose something that you're passionate about choose something that you think that you will do well and places where you live you can get by live in a smaller house live in a paying guest get in touch with your old friends share the rent share the bills but at that age it's more important to really like what you do and um between YMCA in between getting your place you actually lived with us yeah correct correct yeah right. yeah yeah i that was a very interesting phase in my life where i used to i was like i don't know like get up in the morning whether i should have called them my bosses or whether they are my friends or whether they are my roommates i was a bit identity crisis happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, but ex- expand on on that because again let's be clear we had a three bedroom flat in yeah. Kandivali that my parents had purchased for themselves yeah. that we were lucky to be given housing in i think near and i had one bedroom you had another bedroom and the third bedroom was the office the office yeah um and you lived there meaning we all lived there it wasn't and and so i think if you can speak about some of those times because i feel nowadays and you and i have spoken about this in the past as well when somebody's looking to start something up this mentality of bootstrapping doesn't exist as much as it did maybe or maybe only with a certain group of entrepreneurs and and i think this was a great example of bootstrapping and being a family and realizing that this is like if we're bootstrapping you're bootstrapping we all need to be in this kind of together so if you can bring some of those examples up i i think of of both with dasra and then of course when you started your own venture miracle couriers like how how did you sort of deal with that and and i i guess and then my follow up question to that is do you feel entrepreneurs have that same level of risk and drive and commitment to make some of those decisions money was not that easy to get by in terms of raising capital the whole vc pre seed seed a seed series a b c whatever you want to call it was just about to start there was a lot of news and talk about it so you just could not raise capital that easily so to a certain extent you were pushed to do bootstrap number 1 but bootstrapping is extremely important because it breeds a certain culture and innovation in the firm that you have to be careful about what you spend on so i think it's extremely important to understand that bootstrapping is good initially but a part of me also does feel that you get stuck in in bootstrapping you don't scale you don't raise capital being so tight on money even small little things can really bother you but i think it depends on an organizational perspective that if you really want to take the next plunge in the evolution raise money if, if your business requires money don't be stingy about it because then the impact the work the profitability the cash flows are not going to come in so bootstrap to answer in a nutshell bootstrap initially but there'll be a point where you will have to stop bootstrapping and think of bigger things in life 
but not bootstrapping is wrong is what i fundamentally believe and what was your journey after dasra where did you go so luckily for me got a full scholarship i went into oxford uh, it has a great mba program and a strong focus on social impact and social investment something which really really resonated with me and it was a one year program and i remember you and neera both guiding me that look at schools which are top tier schools and perhaps shorter duration i was perhaps not too keen on applying to schools which are two year programs i was already 26 26 and a half so i was one of the younger ones in my batch luckily got a full scholarship i got the school scholarship school foundation does remarkable work across the world and they choose five students to get a full scholarship with tuition fortunately for me i was one of them and uh, th- for the clear mandate of graduating and coming back to india uh, i was not someone who wanted to live abroad or do something in the uk or in the us for that matter I graduated started developing this idea while i was in business school about a logistics company that would uh, hire people with disabilities uh, somehow i felt that people with disabilities haven't really got the due share it's a very very long journey and those are very complex answers our societal fabric is structured in such a way that the discrimination is very rampant so i just thought that what can i do to challenge the status quo and i think this is another learning that i learned from dasra that perhaps dasra also made me answer a particular question that perhaps a non-profit may not be my calling so investment banking is not my calling non-profit is not my calling which was fantastic that i perhaps didn't want to go the traditional philanthropy route more social investment more social finance or more social businesses models kind of resonated with me because you know in my heart they were and part of my entrepreneurial journey i have answered i've answered that question again that i'm a hustler at heart i'm an entrepreneur at heart but because a lot of family baggage around entrepreneurship my family taking a lot of financial hit because of kashmir you know it was kind of distilled in me that you have to take up a job so we are five grandkids i'm the only entrepreneur all four of them have jobs so i find that i find that amazing my younger brother has a job my cousins have jobs nobody is an entrepreneur and we come from a family which always had businesses when i was doing meral and when i did dasra was entrepreneurial because there four people man you have to be entrepreneurial <laughs> right so i think i decided that i want to come back and start my entrepreneurship journey and started miracle with one delivery boy or one deaf delivery boy and with no experience how deaf people work no idea how people with disabilities would do and no idea about the space so i just took the plunge so i i look back and take that in pride you know there was a phase in my life where i stopped taking pride in my work but i've gone back on that route and started asking myself these questions that whatever said and done i have built that and i've developed a model that works and we have considerably increased the income levels so that hustler in me is very much alive and why disability yeah at a personal level i think my dad, mom dad had a car accident while i was in oxford um and my dad uh, had a spinal cord injury and he lost his leg so he can't walk you always hear about people with disability but when you see it at that close quarters it has a very it has a very different dimension to it it's it's just something that you can't even understand at deeper level what it does to you so i think perhaps at the back of my mind it was a combination of that a combination of an opportunity a combination of doing something on my own a combination of doing the hustle combination of keeping the spark alive a lot of factors at play and i think i remember when you were at dasra at least one of the organizations that you spent a lot of time in was prayas mm-hmm. 
uh, which also happened to focus on disability. So if you want to speak a little bit about that work that you did with the amazing Jitendra Aurora and, and... She was a force to reckon with, I do miss her. So uh, Prayas worked with intellectual disability and children, you know, to make a proposal for raising money and sitting with her over cups of tea and understanding that how do you translate her work into impact and I, spending more and more time with her, I started realizing that the impact on a person with disability has a multiplier effect on the economy, huge effect on the economy and per se on the nation. And that's what people are using, right? Or where can my hard on rupees or dollars be more effectively used? What impact? So that also germinated ideas in my mind. You know, so Amartya Sen talks about this thing called the conversion handicap. So he says, people like you and I, we walk and we are not paying to walk, right? But a person on a wheelchair uses a wheelchair, which significantly takes a hit on his income. So that's called a conversion handicap. So I started realizing with I saw kids with intellectual disability that 30-40% of their parents' income are sending the kids to school, which someone like you and I may do it at a lesser cost. But if that child grows up to be an adult who's productive and is part of the society, the impact is far more, but it's not quantifiable. So Priyas was that idea that something needs to be done about a certain section, you can say that. I didn't know that I would work with deaf people. Intellectual disability is, in my opinion, uh, the impact is much more to work with, but some I'm not an educator by training, so I could not start a non-profit and start a school. I wanted to do a business, uh, and for that, deaf, I felt would be the right match, not an intellectual disability, though we still will experiment with other disabilities. And so you finish your MBA at Oxford, right. full scholarship, so no loans, thank God. Yeah, exactly. You're here, <laughs> um, what was sort of that next step of your journey because it's like you said it's not easy to start an organization especially one and to your own sort of you know knowledge you didn't know deaf youth you didn't know career services you did not have a degree or a family business in logistics so how did you go about i guess starting the organization and what were some of the earlier sort of supporters that you had because like you said that is really important otherwise you can't sort of survive or thrive so, I mean, I have a long list of supporters and I think I, I'm, luckily for me, it worked out for me, but it was also two-way street sitting and sending emails to people that this is what I want to do. I need some help. That can be financial or non-financial, even like somebody giving me office space to use. You introduced me to Anuaga. I remember that clearly. And Anuaga replied uh, that we have 50 square feet, five zero. It was smaller than the YMC room also. Why don't you see what, well, let's see how you take it forward. Apparently, I was finding a little office space, apparently writing to the deaf youth and deaf clubs. Bombay has a culture of deaf clubs. Going and talking to the deaf leaders and asking them, this is what I want to do. And I realized the first thing I realized when I walked into a room with deaf people, I don't know how to sign. Oh, and, I was, and I was like, how am I going to work with it if they don't understand me and I don't understand them? So I started learning a little bit, signing on the side, business sign, I would call it, or working sign, I would call it. So start talking to them, hired two delivery boys, potential delivery boys. Uh, apparently, Anuaga gave us space, called the delivery boys to the office. Uh, Thermax people in Kolaba were zapped. What are these two boys doing? What are they going to do? 
gave an order for 10 t-shirts because i could not afford 12 t-shirts so we made first 10 t-shirts it was like everything was everything that's what true entrepreneurship is and then wrote to mr mahindra mr anand mahindra and mr mahindra has made a proposal that we will do your deliveries in a certain area because we don't have a network we don't have a massive team and within 10 minutes i get a reply from mr mahindra marking to the hr head of mahindra and mahindra that let's give medical a chance uh, by the way that time the company was also not registered so i had named it but i was hoping they'll get registered so all that is happening on the side and i remember that you and neera generally offered me office space so i used to walk in work some send my emails because i could not afford internet go out lots of going on and we started with mahindra i was actually i think mahindra was our first client and we started doing basic letters or magazines for them which were not very important and i remember the first delivery boy we had his, his name is ganesh he's still with us i used to follow ganesh with a notepad on the street uh, observing that how will he do deliveries uh, and we were delivering in bandra peri cross road and ganesh obviously doesn't know the area and ganesh is asking people on the street so i had told ganesh to start asking panwalas or watchmans because they know the local area and the local buildings so he's asking the he's asking the panwala and pointing towards the address and the panwala is shouting and saying signal sit right like a second building you know signal right second building and ganesh is deaf he can't hear he can't speak he's standing there the panwala starts raising his voice seedha jao signal sir right lo dusra building and i really wanted to intervene but i said i'm it's gonna, i can't intervene every day so i kept quiet i'm observing he starts raising his voice even more to the point that he is almost about to like hit him so i quickly run and tell the panwala that sir ye ladka sun nahi sakta hai aur bol nahi sakta for english speakers uh, listeners that he can't hear and can't speak the panwala tells me usko bolo mujhe bole he can't hear and can't speak tell him to tell me that i said he cannot tell you that then i realized this idea is not going to work it's not going to it's not going to happen challenges like that then he started coming to work regularly started paying him on time then he started getting more boys he got 10 more boys 15 boys we needed more space and i spoke to my principal miss indu shani and she said why don't you write to mr billa mr kumar magnam billa i wrote to mr billa he loved the idea and he said why don't you come and meet us meet our team see what we can do they gave us 200 square feet so from 50 we graduated to 200 square feet and now uh, still our office and he's been very very generous to us and uh, uh really really supported us and i sit in in that office it's in industry house and we we're going to be here for a while and it's a mutual understanding with the billas who they really loved what we do then um uh, mr billa said why don't you look at hiring women they can be your back office because women with disabilities are really at the bottom of the list so we started hiring women and uh, then there was another angle to it that indian men being indian men never listen to the indian women so there was another social angle to it so i'm barely understanding how the community works i'm getting insight into the deaf world it's a very different world they will it's not a it's not a world that we understand partly because people with disabilities are so segregated in our society that it's it's a surprise i was like wow this also happens that also happens because i was embarrassed that as someone who calls himself a active citizen of this country and a so called entrepreneur trying to do things i did not know even basics of this community and i started realizing started reading started researching that the stigma and the social conditioning 
happens at a very deep level at a very younger age then i started asking my friends that did we have blind kids in our school no did we have deaf kids in our school no did we have kids in a wheelchair in our school no because they go to separate schools when they go to a separate school they go to separate colleges most of them don't study so they live in a parallel world so i started asking myself that do i want to am i trying to bridge that world so a lot of questions happened when i grew this venture and it really really took a toll on me emotionally really badly and i went through this phase where i was like this is not something i want to do anymore it's not resonating with me i had no money i was not paying myself so it's been it's been a it's been a ride so without the supporters it can't happen and the third with, with dasra mr billa with anand mahendra and the fourth supporter which i have to name is amit chandra i wrote to amit that this is what i'm doing and amit said why don't you come home and there is something i left for you and i went home and there was a check for me and he said let's see what you do with this and something will happen and i looked at the check and i was like man i have made payroll i have made salaries for this month so i was never in the fray and if i could turn back time that's a mistake i did i really stopped caring about myself and it took a toll on me emotionally and physically relationship wise L- lots happened and i realized that i shouldn't have done that that's the problem with bootstrapping you cannot bootstrap all the time i should have raised money that time but i didn't i should get up in the morning have a glass of water quick cup of coffee one vada pav and i'm all, i'm out come back sleep one vada pav a day that's what i did for longest periods of time started falling sick you know my friends my family started telling me this is a no go not paying myself sleeping 3 hours a day writing emails to mr mahendra at 4 in the morning i mean it's now i look back i'm like i did it i shouldn't have done it that's being stupid so that's the flip side of bootstrapping you it it went into my dna that i have no money and you need money to experiment you need money for innovation you need money to challenge status quo there were there were there were times that i didn't have money for a taxi to meet a client and then one day i started asking myself i'm i'm being stupid this client is going to give me business and i don't have money to reach him so you go through this journey so without the supporters it wouldn't have happened so these guys are god sent for us you also got echoing green that green happened the money came late you know because echoing green it's you see us nonprofit by the time they wire you the money you apply for the process you go for an interview it's a full one year process so when echoing green came things got much better but uh, before that there was a all this happening that by the 25th of the month i used to start sweating that how will i how will i pay them and i started realizing that if even if there's a delay in salary by a day nobody's going to show to work and they should not that's my responsibility but i took it to another level level that it bogged me down it really affected me emotionally till today if my admin team delays payroll we have never delayed payroll come what may payday is payday you beg you borrow you steal that's why people have stuck to us but at that time it was stressful so when equine green came people started getting paid on time started doing a little bit of investment started buy, we bought a printer we bought a laptop basics we, we started making pamphlets we didn't have money for a pamphlet 
we didn't have money for a website. My junior from college did a website. I felt so bad. He asked for 25,000 rupees. I said, I don't have 25,000 for a website. He said, fine, I'll do it. We'll see what go. Give it to me later. But then Equin Green happened. I gave him 25,000. So there was always plus, minus, always plus, minus. But Equin Green was just fantastic. Another great community. When the money started coming regularly, things got much better. Can you, because I doubt many of our listeners know Equin Green and you know at Thusra, even though we work with more sort of middle stage organizations, so to speak, who now have become very large, given our roots were with startups. We still have a lot of NGO leaders or startups coming to us. Um, and I don't think there's ever been a meeting where I don't recommend Equine Green. So if you can maybe speak a little bit about Equine Green, what the process was like, why that was critical. So Equine Green is a nonprofit based in New York. Uh, they choose uh, about 20 fellows a year. The program has changed. I think now they have sections of fellows. They have climate fellows. They have global fellows. You can go on the website and, uh, and go through the detailed uh, application process. During my time, you had to apply, which was a very, very rigorous, rigorous application. And I would urge the listeners and the people, Dasra also works with that. Even if you don't get echoing green, the application itself will make you think. I have never put in more effort in an application. It was tougher than my business school applications because every question was a why. It's like an onion and the layers are being peeled. Why? Why this? Why that? Why this? Why that? And on an average, I think if I'm not wrong, Echoing Green application is read by 22 people across industries, across verticals. So my application was read by a deaf fellow. Uh, she told me when I met her that she read my application. So applications are read by 22 people. You first uh, apply, you get through round one. Then I think there's round two and then they uh, call you to New York for final interviews where actual experts in the field will interview and they will grill you. For my example, uh, my social business, I had a private equity fellow because he understood business and he understood logistics and a deaf uh, disability rights activist who was a fellow were there and they quizzed me and grilled me for 45 minutes. So it's a great process for everyone just to go through because it really helps you with your idea and distillation. Because there are a lot of people doing many things. And why do you want to reinvent the wheel, as we would say it? So the first question I was asked, I remember crystal, it was crystal clear, I was, so many organizations with deaf people, why we do we need another miracle careers? So you have to be very clear. Because potentially you will pitch to a VC, right? Uh, so I think the Echo Green process, everyone should go through. Applications open in October, November. They announce the fellows in May. So Magic Bus, Matthew, Spacey, uh, as well as Nir and I, made it to the final round of Echo and Green, I think in 2002. Yeah. And both of us got rejected. <laughs> yeah, Echo Green can be picky. So, no, but it's, I mean, given that that can happen to us, and to your point, that means you just hustle more, which was good for us. I think we're so proud of you when you got the echoing green because we're like, it's fine if we didn't get it. That's fine. But it's good that somebody who worked with us in the early days. And I remember Matt also was so excited to hear when you got it. He's like, uh, at least somebody from our network gets it. But if anybody or the listeners need help on echoing green, I'm there. I do read applications almost every two, three years. I've not read in three years, but I do read applications and I have helped a lot of 
uh, Indian applicants applying and they have got it. And and there's, again, it's an amazing cadre of organization yeah. leaders. Maybe if you want to just mention a few from the Indian context who've been echoing green awardees just to help people understand the diversity yeah. of who they support. Madhukar, uh, I mean, there's, he's by far one of the most amazing people. Uh, I've not really sat with him and I really had spoken about it, but his work is so remarkable. PRS, right? Parliamentary uh, Research uh, Services. Then there is um, Aditya, I think it was with, I think with Gandhi Fellow or... Um, Piramal Foundation Piramal now, Foundation, but yeah, but ek, ha, ek lavya. And uh, he, he was one batch senior to me in 2008. He got in an eight, I got in 2009. So they have a fellowship here. And we used to meet every year. So Aditya and I also have a, in a way, we don't, we're not in touch, but we have a special bond. There's this sense of community that entrepreneurs need when they're starting that you can really piggyback on is the word supporters as you as you said because you can just pick up the phone and say man i need some help i'm struggling with this a thing you know so i need ajeta shah is a echoing green fellow at frontier market she's doing great work in rajasthan uh so stuff like that I mean, along those lines, I think if you can speak a little bit about if you've seen any changes as it relates to funding startups in India, um, because like you said, Equine Green, at least at the time, was one of the few groups and that too, they're based in the US. I mean, we're lucky as a country once a year, maybe one fellow a year, maybe from India, if even that much. And clearly there's so many more ideas that exist in our country. Have you seen sort of the startup funding landscape change at all in the Indian context or who other, are there other groups that you think uh, somebody who's starting up an organization should go to or speak to? I think definitely even more money has come in the system. And uh, partly because I think entrepreneurs who have done well in the classic sense of exits are becoming investors so if the if the flipkart guys have got a massive exit i am not sure if they look at social investment as an investment strategy now but things will change because right now it is in that phase that if i have exited at 10x i want my money to become 100x so i will invest in a traditional startup a regular business which is also great why not but i think entrepreneurs who are slightly more evolved in the journey are looking at social investment also for investing that out of my 100 crore of exit I've got from a great startup that has sold to a big giant let me put five crores in a social investment that cannot give me a 50x will give me a return with impact and 95 let me put in classic old school companies that are just going to give me pure financial return that's it it's far easier to raise money now far easier to raise money you have the avishkars of the world and during our time, they were also just starting up and figuring out their acts. Right now, there's a very detailed, very clear, crystal clear process in terms of how do you raise money and what's the plan. And the ecosystem is developing, so people are going to get exits. When exits happen, it's always good for the sector, always good for the system. Because the first question when I tried to was raising money is that, how do I get an exit? That's the first question, how do you get an exit? In a, especially in a social impact business. The exit options are very limited. So uh, Michael Dell Susan Foundation, lot of they were not. I think they were non-existent when we were there, two thousand nine, or probably starting up. Now I think things are definitely it's far easier to start today than it was back in the day. Far easier. 
that does not mean there are no challenges, but challenges are different. Yeah. And you spoke about how the sort of decision you made to be a for-profit in the country, what have been sort of, how do you make that decision, I guess? And if you can help listeners again, who are in the same situation right now of trying to figure out, should they be an NGO? Should they be a for-profit company, uh, a social business? Like what, what are some of the areas, I guess, that you thought about and, and both successes because of your decision as well as some hardships because of that? Because uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great question because, you know, I went through the journey that I was thinking that why a for-profit and for me, I think the answer was very crystal clear that disability and charity go hand in hand, unfortunately. Whenever you see a PWD or a person with a disability, there is something because of a conditioning that kicks in, that you feel the person is inferior or God has been kind to you. That social baggage is very deep in India. So I decided that if I do a non-profit, I'm in a way adding fuel to fire. Perpetuating that. Perpetuating. Yeah. And if I'm a logistics company that is targeting service, working with PWD, I cannot be structured as a non-profit because of just the perception. I'm so passionate about the sector and I can fight for the sector, but I do feel that non-profits get the bad end of the stick. So I, other day I was having an argument with a friend of mine that I don't know where my money is going. I said, do not talk about corporate scam in India. The non-profit sector is far cleaner than the corporate sector. But the perception and optics, the sector has bad optics. For disability, the optic in India is charity. God saved me. I've done past life sin. So God has punished me. For that, non-profit would have been a no-go, which is why it was a for-profit. Also, your customers Got are... It. Paying customers, like you said, there's Thermax, Mahindra, whatever. So you don't need to subsidize them. Correct. And, and exactly. And there are big companies with processes in place, audits in place. I don't think so that I would make the, the paperwork clarity that because you've got to give a lot of paperwork to be a vendor with these companies. I don't think so. They have systems in place that a vendor can be a non-profit. A, a, a non-profit is always a CSR. So I realize that the non-profit will be challenging. So let's do a for-profit. The pitfall, the devil, is that you got to balance both. And I'll be honest that I am leaning towards business. It is, it pushes and it pushes you in such a manner, devil, that the social mission will get diluted. And I'll be honest with it. And I have made peace with that with great, great difficulty. Can you explain what the ramifications of those decisions were, just for the listeners? Yeah. For example. Uh, Medical had 98% people with disabilities, 98%. And then a client of mine told me that, Dhruv, it's great that you're doing it, but it's too idealistic to grow a business. And the client said the same thing that you said. Then become a non-profit. If you want to do a business, you cannot sustain that. And I started realizing what he meant. And he said that, he said, if the goal of Medical is to hire persons with disabilities, hire them in a bigger way. If you have 1,000 people, 400 are disabled, that doesn't mean that you have not done impact. I was too latched on to the idea of idealism and social impact and person disabilities. This is where my failing was. And it's a journey, right? There are no right answers. So we decided that why can't we hire some low-income candidate? Our mandate was very clear. A low-income candidate comes, his bio data goes in the file. 
a deaf candidate comes, come what we will make you do something. But it was backfiring because the clients were getting unhappy, service levels were falling, things couldn't happen. So we decided that we'll have both. And also it's very good for deaf people to work with hearing people. So we have a sense of community happening. The deaf people were again comfortable. They only work with deaf people. Miracle was giving them another platform to again work with only deaf people. As I brought in hearing people, there were clashes. How do you build culture around it? If I'm a deaf person, I will not listen to a hearing person because you don't know how to sign. So that culture has, has to be built from scratch. But that's where the change happened, that we are inclusive. So we have stopped positioning and branding ourselves as a logistics company that hires people with disabilities. Our play is very clear that we are super efficient, super fast, reliable. That's it. How we do it as my lookout. And that has come with a lot of conversations, a lot of people out of time, a lot of abuse, a lot of abuse from clients, like literal abuse because there was a delay of 10 minutes. And that shows you fabric, right? That's so, that's, that, it's a lens on society, how we treat labor, how we treat people. Like people will not wait two minutes for a delivery. They expect our delivery boys to come up six floors with their bags and to not even have the decency to offer them a glass of water in the Bombay heat in May. It's a lens, right? So we realize that we cannot be so idealistic and let's change the social impact. And we are still going to be impact, but we'll have other people also. So my goal eventually is going to be 50-50. That's the way to go. And how large is your team now? And we have about 250 people. And where are they based? All over Bombay. All over Bombay. And we have multiple uh, locations. Uh, and people with disabilities, the percentage has come down and it's going to come down. And how many would be? Right now, we are, we are at 50-50. Yeah, but I do feel that it may just come down. And so how's the gig economy supported or not supported your, your business model? Gig is very complex. And again, it's been a very big thing for me to understand gig in a way that, to be honest with you, Devil, we don't have a choice. We have to go the gig route. And I have taken that decision with great, great difficulty. Uh, gig has a lot of advantages, but gig fundamentally is also very, very uh, discriminatory also. So I don't have an answer for that. But as, a, as running a business, someone who is a consumer of gig economy also, gig is the future. So the government and the new labor codes are coming in apparently next year. The government has, I think, accepted the fact that gig is here to stay, but you got to give a safety net layers around it. So, so it happened in Miracle also. We told the delivery team that you want to go the gig route. The money difference level is so huge in gig versus payroll. You do not get delivery people on salaries anymore. And that's a function of multiple factors. Partly obscene amount of capital, the food tech companies have raised. So hire at will, whatever you want, just execute the order. And that's the way societies are getting structured. Delivery boys want to work when they want to work. They open the phone, put on the app, work for four hours, get paid, want to sleep for two hours, sleep for two hours. Today, delivery boys, they're their own bosses. So we did actually a survey and asked our delivery people and everybody wanted to go gig route because the salary difference is massive. It's almost double. And at, at the low income levels, that's a lot of money. So gig is here to stay. And how many of your team members are now? More than 50% are gig. More than 50% are gig. 
because gig the way it is structured is incentivized in such a manner that you can make really good amount of money per month especially during peak season or peak hours huge so at some levels one also needs to understand from a social justice point of view that it is discriminatory no doubt about it but at the same time i'll be honest with you we told one of our delivery boys that you come inside our office and become back office that's a skill learning how to manage a warehouse he said no because the money difference was huge but i said you have a career path he said i don't care about that i want money now because cost of living has shot up he's got a family he's got kids he wants to put them to an english speaking school he's got house to run he's got bills so that's from a social justice point of view is a bit unfortunate that somebody gets the luxury to choose like we we had we were luxury, we had the luxury to choose 50% of them don't have that luxury they just have to get on and is the business still packages yeah e-commerce and delivery boys love it to make money and that's great and why not why not if everybody is uh, uh, enjoying the so called growth in india every layer of society should enjoy their growth what advice do you have for new leaders whether they're ngos social businesses anyone who's looking to step into the impact space give it a shot i think get your hands dirty i think that's where something is missing i don't know probably i'm wrong but the i work with some entrepreneurs i think they don't really get their hands dirty i feel now if you want to do impact work with organizations you know go to the field spend 12 hours under the sun you need to understand at the end of the day the end the end person is getting a benefit out of it or not is changing their lives or not it's very easy to sit in a ac room and make a presentation on an apple computer and have a blue tokai coffee man i mean <laughs> there's a space for that also but get your hands dirty and unfortunately i think kids don't want to do that or i don't know probably i'm too critical of this generation i don't know now that i'm very old but we had kids coming to miracle for internship and we have a strict policy you have to do deliveries for one week and that requires a 30 kilo bag walk ring the bell talk to the customer give the package on time and very few kids do it and that's a turn off parents have told me as a soviet we'll make you do printing we'll make you do xerox we'll make you do deliveries and after one week fine you want to do a strategic project on cost do it on a monday but for one week you need to understand what the delivery boy goes through on the street day and night now when you joined dasra we had a policy back then you remember which was 3 months correct in the field absolutely and that was mimicking what nir and i had both done we said we if you're not in the field you're not going to be able to do it anything it is pointless you're so got away from reality i feel fine you build something you fail great that's another issue in our society failure is looked down upon build again fail fine third time it will be a success fourth time it will be a success why not what gives you hope oh i right now the hope is that in indian e-commerce sector really picks up <laughs> and does and indian really really becomes a force to reckon with but uh, deep in my deep sense i'm a die hard indian I feel this is the country of the future and this is the country that is going to change the world. And I do really have hope after belittling the young crowd that there is hope in them. They're lateral thinkers. They do things differently perhaps. I'm not used to it, but I think things will change. There's hope in the young people of this country. Great. Well, thank you, Dhruv. Thank you, Devil. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our work, our work of any of the guests, or the Rebuild India Fund, please go to our website, thusra.org forward slash NCE, where we've got show notes, links, and much, much more. No Cost Extension is produced by the amazing Baka Media.